And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Smart Money Circle. I'm your host, Adam Sarhan. With me today is David Peters, who's founder and the owner of David Peters Financial Group. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for so. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. I'm I'm looking forward to to a great conversation. It's likewise. So, David, before we jump in, I know your background is more of the CPA side, the accounting and the financial or planning side of the business, and you also do some asset management work. I'm really interested to hear all about your story. So, my first question is: Can you please tell us how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, I I don't think that anyone necessarily takes a straight line in their uh, in their uh, career and in their working life, and I, I was certainly no exception to that. Um, I started off uh, actually working as a staff accountant for a hedge fund uh, in uh, Richmond, Virginia, and uh, that was kind of my first exposure to uh, asset management. And so uh, we did a little bit of everything. Uh, we did uh, some trading mainly in commodities, but we also did some uh, things with uh, REITs and some other real estate uh, deals as well. Um, and I, I did that for about three years. And uh, then the uh, financial crisis in 2009 hit, and I all of a sudden found myself without a job. And so, so um, I ended up uh, working for a startup uh, insurance company in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Um, I didn't have an insurance background before that. So I basically uh, was just looking for something and I ended up at Elephant Auto Insurance where I uh, got plugged in as a, a technical accountant and uh, started working my way into kind of more of the regulatory and compliance side uh, of the insurance industry. And uh, I really learned a lot in a very short period of time. And I did that for a few years. And then I was asked to help start a, a new company um, an insurance company called uh, Compare.com, uh, which is a price comparison website, sort of like Kayak for auto insurance, if you want to think about it that way. Um, and I was uh, the CFO of that company, um, and uh, that was a startup uh, startup endeavor by uh, Admiral uh, Group uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, Admiral Group is the third largest auto insurer in the UK. And so uh, we were kind of uh, their United States uh, uh, venture. And so um, I did that for a while and I swore off of uh, startups. I said, I'm never gonna do another startup ever again. And uh, then I started working for a friend of mine in uh, Charlotte uh, on the financial planning side and really got into kind of working with clients and uh, really kind of uh, just uh, really got excited about uh, just helping out uh, families and just kind of using my financial skills and knowledge to help other people. That was, uh, you know, I think probably the biggest draw there. And uh, I did that for a few years. And then uh, after saying I would never do my own startup, I decided to go out on my own. And so, so uh, um, I, I went out on my own and uh, now I do a little bit of everything. I'm, uh, I have the opportunity to do uh, tax preparation and tax consulting, um, but um, I, do, uh, I do still broker insurance policies for folks, life insurance, small business insurance, health insurance. Um, and I also uh, do a lot of work with uh, financial planning and asset management as well, a lot of retirement planning. Um, I also teach and speak all over the country. So I do a lot of uh, stuff on the education side as well, educating clients, but also educating other practitioners, uh, financial advisors, insurance agents, and uh, tax preparers as well. I love it. So you're, you have a unique background here of coming to it from the CPA side, the planning side, also a little bit asset management. 
Can you speak to us a little about the planning side of the business and the overlap with the asset management side, your investment strategy and how you handle risk and all that fun stuff, please? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always come at this as that uh, asset management grows out of financial planning. So it's not really the other way around. And I know that, uh, you know, some clients, they come into my office and they know exactly what they want uh, in the portfolio. But I typically find, at least for my client base, that that's a rarity. I mean, a lot of times people just know that, uh, they have gotten to a point in their lives where they just want some additional help and they they want uh, someone to take control of their uh, of their financial lives. And so we typically start off with uh, making a financial plans. And uh, when I say a financial plan, I don't just mean in the area of where should we put our investments. I mean everything. I mean taking a look at insurance, taking a look at life insurance, taking a look at tax uh, situations of the client, uh, taking a look at old tax returns looking at the portfolio, looking at retirement assets, really doing kind of front to back planning. Then what we do is, uh, you know, and typically a financial plan is, is if you do it right, I think it's going to take place over a series of meetings. It's not a one and done by any stretch. Um, and even once you give the deliverable to the client where they have kind of this, uh, you know, it used to be a big binder, I guess these days we don't really use binders anymore. It's a big PDF at this point, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, but it, they give, once we give the deliverable to the client, we're still tinkering, we're still working, we're still trying to, uh, you know, figure out what's best for the client. And so, uh, you know, and that's where kind of the asset management side happens. We suggest, uh, you know, putting money into a Roth. IRA or we say, you know, we say, hey, why don't we consolidate some of these old 401ks so that we can actually have them kind of all sort of guided in the right direction. And so that is, uh, you know, kind of where that happens. Uh, you asked about risk as well. I mean, you know, I think uh, it really depends, uh, especially right now, I think, especially in a bear market where it's been a tough year. I mean, I think for, for a lot of us, um, you know, when it comes to risk, it really depends on kind of where people are at uh, in their lives. I think, uh, you know, uh, for some of my clients that are kind of young working professionals, uh, entrepreneurs, they're not really caring a whole lot about, uh, you know, the fact that it's 2022 and yeah, we're having a rough year, but, uh, you know, if they got 30 years until retirement, honestly, 2022 is kind of a blip on the map. And so we've been, uh, we, we've talked to those clients about, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, we don't really necessarily think that things are going to turn around right away. And that's probably going to be next year uh, before we start seeing any turn in the markets. Um, and so, uh, you know, so we, uh, at least any sustained turn, I guess we've had a couple of good days here and there, but, um, you know, and, and I think just getting them to understand that if they're on board with that, then, you know, and they're okay with it, we have said, okay, you know, let's, let's go for kind of long-term growth. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, do some, maybe some momentum trading along the way, but for the most part, look for long-term growth for my retirees. It's been all about controlling volatility, especially here, uh, more recently, um, just trying to make sure that they have the cash that they need to actually survive and get by. And, uh, we talk about, uh, you know, things like withdrawal rates, uh, from the portfolio, you know, how much can I take without necessarily compromising, how I want to live in retirement and, and things like that. And for some of my clients, uh, that has meant, uh, you know, maybe we take a little bit less out of the portfolio than we typically have done in the past. 
uh, for other people, we say, you know, hey, studies the course because, uh, you know, you could be taking more, but if you're happy, then, uh, you know, pull out what you need and we'll, uh, we'll uh, just uh, try to make sure that uh, we're reallocating on a regular basis and that's really about it. So, um, so risk, I think, is an, is an interesting one right now for sure. Yeah, I love that. So you're more of a, the planning side is a bread and butter. Yep. So after you plan, then you look at the asset allocation and you adjust accordingly depending and the risk mo you know, modules and all that kind of stuff, depending on the individuals or the family's needs and objectives, so on and so forth. Um, you mentioned earlier you're, before the, the interview that you're a long-term value investor and you look at mm -hmm. ETFs and mutual funds. Is that a good overview of a description? I think that that's very accurate. I mean, a lot of times my clients are looking for diversification. If they're younger, typically they don't have large accounts. And so, you know, so the, the you know, probably the quickest way to get a good diversification is ETFs and mutual funds. Mm -hmm. We tend to lean more towards ETFs because ETFs tend to be more tax efficient. And right. so, you know, we do look at the, at the tax side, which I do think makes us a little bit different from a lot of other uh, financial advisors and a lot of other money managers is we, we do focus heavily because a lot, a lot of those clients, you know, we, we may be doing the tax return as well. And so trying to make sure that, uh, you know, that uh, uh, we are setting ourselves up well um, for the long term. We also tend to try, try to, uh, especially when folks are younger, we try to get them to at least look at Roth contributions as well to try to give them some ability in retirement to pull from a Roth account and get that, get that tax-free growth and that tax-free withdrawal. I love it. So let's go a little deeper if we can about the financial planning, because there's a lot of question marks about how to come up with a good financial plan. What are some mistakes you see people make with respect to creating a plan? First question. And the second one were some of the good things or, you know, the pros of the positives that people make with respect to making a plan. Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of times when we see folks making a plan for the first time, I think a lot of times they really don't know what to expect and they really don't know what to get out of it. Uh, and they focus very heavily, typically on either the investments or the tax return. You know, I mean, uh, so I think that uh, those are kind of the spots that I think uh, are, are kind of the most in the in your face, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, for, for a lot of people. They, they see their tax return every year. They know what their refund is every year. Uh, their investments, they get statements on a regular basis. And so I, I, I tend to see a lot of people when they first come in, they're focusing very heavily on those things and not necessarily looking at kind of the entire financial picture, looking at things like uh, life insurance, uh, looking at things like disability insurance, uh, you know, and those are are hard conversations, I think, to have with clients. It, no one wants to think about their own death. No one wants to think about, you know, what happens if I can't work anymore. No one wants to think about that stuff. And so, you know, so but part of my job is, is to make sure that they are thinking about it. And so that is, uh, you know, typically what I see um, sometimes within the portfolio itself, a lot of times uh, we see people coming in, especially if they've been with the same company for a long time, uh, highly concentrated positions. So, you know, a lot of times in employer stock, uh, you know, that that's pretty common. They come in with a, you know, a heavy amount of employer stock, 
Also, uh, endowment uh, bias is kind of the, the academic -y, uh, term that we, we tend to use when somebody wants to hold on to something simply because of, you know, they the, the inherited it maybe from, you know, uh, their mother or, or father or something like that, where it has some sort of like special meaning to them. Um, and talking to them about that and kind of what that position is doing, uh, that is, uh, you know, probably some mistakes that we see within the portfolio. So I would say just, you know, kind of overly focused on kind of one area of the plan to the neglect of others. And then, uh, you know, also just kind of highly concentrated positions and also just kind of endowment bias within the portfolio. Uh, the one thing I will say, you know, you asked about the good side. I mean, the one thing that I love about uh, people who ask for a financial plan is uh, they're usually pretty committed at that point. I mean, because we tell them, uh, you know, straight out, we say, this is not an easy process. This is not a one and done. This is not one phone call. Like you're committing to multiple meetings, multiple phone calls. It's going to be a uh, very detailed look at your financial life. And so most of the time if people are like, yeah, I'm in and they start sending stuff right away. I mean, that means that they're really kind of committed to the plan and they're open to uh, suggestions that you're able to make. And so I, I think that that's probably the, the biggest plus is if you get somebody who is, who is open to that idea, I think that, uh, you know, that they're going to be a client for a long time. It's almost like working out where your body can do more than, but it's mental, right? The more than yeah. your mind, the mind gives up first. <laughs> it sounds like I, a lot like that. Yeah. I think that's an excellent way to put it. Thank you. Okay, beautiful. Um, next question. What are some timeless lessons you've learned along the way, whether it's business, investing, family, life, balance, however you want to go, and that you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, I think there's uh, probably at least a few that, uh, that I could talk through. I mean, I think for me, probably the biggest lesson that I've learned on the business side is, is that uh, is, it's not a matter of picking the highest net worth clients. It's a matter of picking the right clients. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that I think is kind of a natural thing to do when you first go out on your own uh, in any sort of financial services industry, especially if you, you know, it's your money that you're investing and uh, basically you're funding the company out of your own pocket. It's a scary situation. And I think all of us, I, I think to a point, look for just any revenue that we can find. And I, it's maybe a little bit uh, easier to say now that, uh, you know, I'm a little bit more settled in my career, uh, but um, I think that uh, the biggest thing I've learned is, is that, you know, the clients that you have that, uh, you know, are really a good match for you, they're going to naturally gravitate towards you. And anytime that I have ever given up uh, a client, um, you know, because uh, we just didn't click, we just, their personalities just didn't match. I've actually never looked back at that and said, oh, that was a mistake. I actually have always looked at it as, uh, you know, as that uh, that is usually better off for me. It's also better off for the client too, you know, it, especially when you're looking for a true financial advisor, you need somebody who you can click with. You need somebody who you can talk to very frankly, very openly, and someone who can put things in the way that you can understand. And so letting them go is not necessarily a bad thing. And typically what I've found is, is that, you know, if I give up, uh, you know, one client uh, that, uh, you know, that just didn't match, I usually find, you know, two more that do. And so uh, I think that that's something that, you know, if I could go back, that would be definitely be something I would, I would tell my old self is just to be patient and look for the right clients. 
um, it's it's sort of like that that uh, old uh, I guess uh, they used to call it the 80 20 rule right so you know um, you know if you kind of reverse that you know 20 percent of your clients probably cause 80 percent of your problems and and so I'm a, I'm a big believer in that um, I think probably a second thing too is uh, invest in people and infrastructure uh, sooner rather than later I think that uh, you know again a lot of a lot of financial advisors I think uh, you know a lot of times we're getting paid based off of uh, AUM and it's typically going to be a, a percentage of that. And so I think what happens a lot of times is we're so focused on the revenue side that we forget to build something sustainable. And you need you need good systems and you need good people. Uh, you can't expand very far without having those two things. And uh, I think that more many financial advisors have figured that out. Um, a lot of times, the hard way is is that uh, you know is that your people and your infrastructure that's really everything, and that's going to lead to sustained growth. And yeah, it's uh, it it tends to be a little bit of a financial stretch kind of early on uh, to hire somebody. Uh, especially if you're first getting started and everything. But the fact is, is that if you're really going to grow and you're really going to make a go at it, uh, I think that that's an important piece that you got to get into place is you got to get people that uh, are just going to resonate with you and uh, that believe in the vision that you are trying to set. No, that makes great sense. And some timeless mistakes you've seen people make that you'd like to share with the audience in addition to taking on too many clients or the wrong yeah, one, yeah. not saying no, you know, what else would you like to share? mistake standpoint and how to and how to overcome it yeah i so i think that uh you know some of the mistakes that i see with uh with people is is that um just staying with a a business plan that's uh, a little bit too long um that's something that uh, really doesn't doesn't work uh staying with something a little bit too long staying with something that uh, you know you thought was a good idea in your head but I think it's, uh, you know, I think in the, the uh, uh, you know, the financial uh, advising uh, books in the uh, area of uh, behavioral finance, they tend to call that loss aversion, right? So kind of a similar idea there, you know, it's like, well, if I continue on with this idea, oh, it'll eventually work out. Oh, it'll, it'll uh, eventually come my way. And that really kind of ignores um, what, uh, you know, if, if what, if it kind of ignores what common sense is telling you and what kind of the market is telling you then you need to let that go. And that doesn't mean that you have uh, failed or that uh, you're not going to be successful. Uh, but I think sometimes I think people are kind of so focused, especially with a lot of the uh, uh, entrepreneurs that I talk with and uh, that uh, I'm, you know, that uh, are some of my clients, some of the things I've seen in the past is they're so locked in on an idea that they just that they don't want to admit it if it's not going their way. And they're kind of shutting out um, opportunities that might be there. And I think it's good to keep your eyes open. It's good to keep an open mind. And one of the things that I would say to any entrepreneur that's out there is, is that, uh, you know, keep swinging, you know, the, the, it's not necessarily the first, uh, you know, the first idea that is necessarily going to uh, be the one that's going to stick. And so uh, it's, it's a matter of, you know, kind of realizing when to cut it off, I think, uh, probably more than anything else. Um, the other thing that I would say too is, is uh, you know, is always have a good sense of uh, where your own uh, burnout level is. Um, I think that that's important as well. Uh, a lot of my clients are are startup clients. Uh, they've they've helped start businesses or they're starting up businesses themselves. Sometimes they have investors. Sometimes they don't. 
but uh, you know, starting up a business is hard. It is it is hard work. It it is not a forty hour a week job most of the time. It's you know a lot of times it's a hundred hour a week job. And, it, you know, some people, they're just not able to do that with some of the things that they got going on with family and friends and, you know, all the other things that, you know, that are just part of living life. And so I think, uh, you know, having a good sense of where that burnout factor is and, uh, you know, kind of when you're about to reach it, I think is a good thing to know as well. Um, I do see a lot of entrepreneurs that just, uh, that just kind of fizzle out, not necessarily because they were necessarily doing bad things or because they weren't making progress, but uh, they were just uh, trying to grow at all costs. And, uh, you know, usually that ends up uh, leading to trouble. And again, that, and I guess that kind of leads back to kind of my comment about infrastructure and people, you know, I mean, at some point you got to bring other people on and you got to, got to help kind of grow it in the right way. No, make me very, very makes perfect sense. Great answer. Um, how about the best piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I, I think that uh, probably the best piece of advice that uh, I ever got uh, was from a, a mentor and a friend of mine who said uh, that, uh, uh, that if you, that uh, the best way to get to know somebody is to ask. <laughs> so, um, and uh, what he meant by that, I, I got to give you more context than that, I think. But what he really meant by that was, is that, uh, you know, a lot of times, especially in corporate America, we, we tend to have uh, bosses that we don't know. We tend to have people that we don't, um, that we don't know at, anything about them sort of outside of what they look like and what their title is. And I actually think that that's getting worse right now when a lot of people are not necessarily going to a physical office. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, there's a good bit of the time where we actually don't see uh, the people that are in charge. And so what he used to do that always used to be amazing to me, no matter how many hours he was working, he would always just manage by walking around. I mean, he would, he would walk around, he would talk to people, he would ask them uh, what was going on in their lives, what was going on in their, uh, in their working lives too, what problems were they, were they having, and how could he help? And I think that just that small little, uh, you know, touch point, I think from one day to the next, I think made all the difference in the world. Uh, it, it's, so, you know, so especially if you are in a situation where you have a growing business, I think it's easy to kind of, um, you know, try to, uh, you know, uh, try to let uh, other people kind of handle stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe become a little bit disconnected, uh, the bigger the, you know, the company gets, uh, that's at the point where it's even more important for people to kind of know who you are. And, uh, you know, again, it doesn't take much. It's just, uh, you know, a matter of uh, walking around and talking to people and just asking what's going on. And I think that that, that touch point makes a huge difference to a lot of people. Beautiful. And I guess final question for you today, David, is, uh, what's the best piece of advice you'd like to give to yourself from 20 years ago or 10 years ago or former, your former self or anyone well, in the audience that getting, you know, that's younger. Yeah. Or older um, for that matter. Or older for that matter. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, if I were to go back and I were to talk to me 20 years ago, I would just say, uh, be patient and uh, enjoy the ride a little bit more. I think, uh, you know, I was always pretty hyper-focused on, uh, trying to grow a, you know, grow my career, grow in uh, my uh, professional life. And 
I, I didn't quite know what all of that uh, meant, but um, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times I would get frustrated just because I felt like, you know, I wasn't at the level that I wanted to be. And um, it made me so that I was impatient and it made me so that uh, I was uh, probably a little bit more of a bear to work around and to be around than, uh, you know, than I, I could have been. And so I think that that's what I would say, you know, just be patient. And also too, you know, if you have a, if, if you have something that you want, don't be afraid to try it. I mean, you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of people, they walk around and they say, man, you know, I wish that uh, I could do this, that, or the other thing. My goodness. I mean, take a swing. I mean, if you're wrong, you're wrong. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, at least take a swing. And uh, I think that uh, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to, uh, to change paths. Uh, you know, I think uh, if you're, if you're going to make it as an entrepreneur, I mean, I think that that's kind of part of the gig. So, so, I love uh, it. so that's what I would say. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was an absolute pleasure. And hopefully we'll have you on again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon.